Well, let's turn in our Bibles together to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. We're returning to our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, the Beatitudes, these, these beautiful opening words of our King and Savior, Jesus. Matthew 5. It's hard to believe it's Labor Day weekend. And on Labor Day weekend, it's happening today, I'm certain. There are always people um, in our church family who are trying to squeeze in one last camping trip, right? That's a good thing to do. Grab, grab summer when you can. I want us to just to think about something that happens when you go camping. Um, you get dirty. It's inevitable, really. Uh, you're sleeping outside. Uh, you're, you're sitting on, on stumps around uh, a smoky campfire, uh, picking huckleberries or mushrooms or whatever it is, um, picking up after the kids, you know. Um, and, and before long, you, you don't just look dirty, you, you smell dirty. Um, you stink. And, and the people that you're with, your family, your friends, whatever, um, they, they stink too. And socially, that's bearable because everybody's in the same condition. But how many of you know that feeling of, you know, despite everybody else around you, within yourself, you still feel dirty? Do you know what I'm saying? You know what it is to want to be cleaned up. You know what it is to desire to be freshened up. And in the same way, uh, we understand what it is to have a sense of inner uncleanness, do we not? This is a work of grace in the lives of his people. We become aware that we're not clean, we're not holy. By nature, man's heart, apart from grace, is a dirt factory, a sin factory, The human heart just seems to generate more and more filth. There's no end to it. Every generation asks the question, surely it can't get any worse than this. And yet it does. And when God sheds his grace on his people, they begin to care about this. We not only know where dirty inside, we we strongly desire to be made clean. Do do you know that desire? And it's this awareness of spiritual uncleanness, this, this desire for, and even pursuit of spiritual cleansing that Jesus has in view when he says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That those who truly desire cleanness from God and pursue purity from God will receive it. And, and having been made pure, they'll experience intimate, personal relationship with God. Verse 8, more literally, could be translated, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they alone will continuously be seeing God for themselves. Do you 
desire purity? I mean, in your heart, the, the person you really are, do you long to be pure before God? So much so that you access his means of of purifying his people. Well then rejoice this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, says our Savior. For they shall see God. Well, with God's help, we'll read the Beatitudes in their context. And then uh, seek to understand what it is to be pure in heart? What, what does it even mean to see God? We need to know what that is. Verse 1 of Matthew 5. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember, in this Sermon on the Mount, there is given to us by our King Jesus a description of what human life and human community look like when they are under the gracious rule of heaven's king. Jesus is God's anointed king, and he's come to inaugurate his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel, the gospel of repentance and faith in him. And he's now describing the nature of those who truly belong to him, his kingdom people. And he says, the, the, the king's people, my people, are a blessed people. Uh, they enjoy an otherworldly happiness uh, that is really something that transcends their circumstances, their health, uh, material things, whether they have stuff or don't have stuff. Their happiness is not just stored up in the future one day for heaven. It's enjoyed palpably now. Blessed are those, says the king. The king's blessed people enjoy an abundant life that belongs only to them, the citizens of heaven's kingdom. And now this this specific blessing Jesus describes in verse 8, he says it's the blessing of seeing God. Well, what is that? And it belongs only to those who are pure in heart. What does that even mean? And so we're just going to look at this from three different angles. Um, most of us can remember three things. Um, the desire for purity. I've said a little bit about that already. The pursuit of purity. And then finally, the hope of purity. The desire for purity, the pursuit of purity, 
and the hope of purity. Remember, Matthew has told us that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David. He's the long-awaited greater son of David who has come to save his people from their sins. David, as you know, is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Who was David's predecessor? Well, Saul, King Saul, though outwardly impressive. I mean, he was quite a specimen to look at. But he had a divided heart, didn't he? He went through the motions of allegiance to God until it was not expedient for him to do so. So Saul ultimately served himself. And what did the prophet Samuel say, or what did God say through Samuel to Saul? He said, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God. Now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So David was pure in heart in the sense of his undivided allegiance to God. He he was single-minded in his loyalty to God. Let me ask you something. Do you live in allegiance to God? With, with, With loyalty toward God? And we know that the entire Old Testament history of God's people, Israel, is a a history of of, of good kings and and crummy kings, isn't it? Um, Loyal kings with respect to God, disloyal kings, kings who pursued purity before God to the benefit of his people, and then there were kings who disregarded God's ways to the detriment of his people. Turns out it matters who you follow, right? Right? Quick example, King Jehoshaphat of Judah was a king who followed in the footsteps of David, the scripture says. He was loyal to God. Second Chronicles 17 says this, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. You think about that. He, he, he did not walk in the ways of idolatry. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. And we know, don't we, that neither David nor Jehoshaphat nor any other of God's loyal people uh, throughout history were perfectly holy, perfectly loyal. David struggled with pride. He had a wandering eye. We know him well, do we not, for his adultery with Bathsheba and and the murder that resulted in his attempt to cover it all up. David was a negligent father in many ways, and his family bore the evidence of that. David wasn't perfect. Jehoshaphat, though, though loyal to God, apparently did not make sure that the pagan high places around Jerusalem in Judah um, didn't start cropping up again during the, the period of his reign. But the scriptures point us to their hearts. They desired loyalty to God. And this desire led them to pursue the kind of worshipful and obedient life that God calls his people to. 
So just think about that. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Do you have a God-given desire to pursue that worshipful, obedient life that God calls his people to? That's what it is to be pure of heart. The king's blessed people are loyal to God. They sincerely desire and even pursue a purity that leads to fellowship with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now what can be said of this desire for purity? Well, King Jesus has already called his people to repentance, hasn't he? He's he's called them to acknowledge their uncleanness, their impurity, if you will, and turn to God's means of purifying his people. What has Jesus said? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The only means of entering God's kingdom of purity is through repentance and faith in Christ, the King. That this is the narrow way that leads to life. And and what was it that that, that Matthew told us the angel had said to to Joseph in chapter 1? Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people by doing what? By living the pure life that his people have not lived. And then going to the cross and being judged, punished by God for his people's impurity, your impurity, my impurity, my sin. He's come to appease God's wrath for his unclean people. Because of all of their sin, all of our law-breaking, Jesus died and then rose again, never to die again, giving life, his life, how many of you know his life is a life of purity to his people? And God's means for your cleansing, your purity, this is the part where you pay attention because remember earlier I said, yep, everybody around the campfire stinks. Forget about them. This is to do with you. This is to do with your filth. Your inner impurity. God's means for your cleansing, you who crave it, is only through faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot make yourself clean. Only the work of Christ, credited to you, can make you clean. And so in Matthew 5, let's just think about what kinds of people is Jesus speaking to? They're on a hillside, a beautiful setting in Galilee overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and there are a whole bunch of Jewish people listening to this Jesus. And they are people who are just like us in many ways, people who, are, who apart from grace, uh, apart from uh, God's work in his spirit, uh, people by nature who are within themselves morally and ethically impure. In this crowd of Galileans, there are myriad varieties and later layers of dirt. Liars. Have you ever lied? Careful how you answer that. 
cheaters, adulterers at heart, the unforgiving, the unmerciful, the duplicitous, people created to worship God who nonetheless spend their days worshiping themselves. Even outwardly religious people who within themselves have little or no true love toward God. What a mass of sin surrounds Jesus as he speaks this truth in Galilee. But, you know, I wonder this morning how many layers, how many varieties of dirtiness, sinfulness are represented among us gathered here today. Or are you not also by nature, apart from grace, dirty inside by God's measure? And never mind everybody else. You're just like that person at the campfire thinking, man, I I got to get cleaned up. Enough is enough. Something else about this crowd of Galileans, they have been taught by their religious leaders, and and Matthew's gospel will make much of this. They've been taught by their religious leaders that what really matters is that you just kind of get cleaned up on the outside, and so you, you, you practice a bunch of religious rules and rituals, uh, you climb this, this monotonous mountain of, of man-made religion, uh, and, and you do it all, and you keep doing it all, and if, and if you just keep at it, somehow God will consider you pure. At least you look pure to others. You might even occasionally feel pure within yourself. How many of you know it is a work of grace in the life of his people to know the lie of that? Even while you're doing it, to know within yourself, man, I just, I just got to get cleaned up. I, I'm no longer concerned about what other people think. I know I stink. I know I'm filthy inside. Jesus will soon say to these religious leaders, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. This whole system of man-made religion, though it named God, that did nothing to make people clean on the inside. And do you realize that man-made religion still today is just like that? And by God's grace, surely some of these people gathered on that hillside in Galilee began to feel the uncleanness within themselves. Notice with me that Matthew 5.8 does not say, Blessed are the pure in appearance. Blessed are the outwardly religious. Blessed are the people who go to church at least three out of four Sundays, Labor Day accepted. It doesn't say that. The heart is who you really are. Who you are on the inside. That the secret thoughts and feelings that nobody knows about except you and God. And how in the world 
Can you cleanse the inside so that the outside might also be true in its cleanliness? Wisest guy who ever lived in his day, Solomon, put it this way. Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. No one. No one. We can't make ourselves pure on the inside. But here's the thing. Are you still listening? Jesus' first listeners also knew, also knew that their scriptures taught them of one who would come not to simply demand purity, but give purity. They knew their scriptures spoke of a king who would come and not simply speak about purity, but enable purity, who wouldn't just um, add to religious burdens, but help them carry their burdens. A a priest who would not increase their guilt, laying a guilt trip on them, uh, but would actually remove their guilt. And you say, well, how did they even know that? Well, lots of places we could go in the Old Testament, but listen to the word of God through the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 13.1, in that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. A fountain, an unending supply of sin-cleansing water. And Jesus says, that day has come. Uh, Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. I'm bringing heaven to my people. I'm bringing heaven to my earth. I've come to bless you, not curse you. Repent of your sins and and get under the gracious rule of heaven's king. Have you turned to the king in that sense? Is that your Christianity? A repentance from sin? Turning by faith to the Lord's Christ, Jesus, as king. He is the fountain of purity for his filthy people. See, the gospel is good news, amen? More of us would smile if we kept that in mind. There's an Old Testament passage that really has cut a trail for this sixth beatitude. Very possibly Jesus had Psalm 24 um, on his heart as he spoke, uh, Matthew 5, 8. Psalm 24 says this, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You think about that. Who may see God? Who are those blessed by ongoing relational knowledge of God, friendly communion with God? Who who are these people? Well, Psalm 24 ultimately refers, describes Jesus alone, doesn't it? Turns out all of the Psalms are about Jesus. Remember that? Christ in the Psalms. He alone can ascend the hill of the Lord. Jesus alone can stand in God's holy presence. And he has done so for his people. And continues to do so today. 
You see, Jesus has come to bring us to God. The only way you get to God is through king. The king, Christ is the fountain open then for God's filthy people. You're aware of that inner sinfulness, that inner impurity, never mind everybody else. And what do you do? There's nothing you can do but receive the grace that God gives you to run by faith to Christ. Wow. This is the good news for all of God's sin-stained people. Those who desire purity, find it in Christ. And, you know, all who seek shelter from God's wrath for sin, find this rescue in Christ. It doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter your nationality, your race, your, the way you were brought up. If you were raised by wolves, this applies to you too. If you had a really sweet, you know, you know, religious, clean upbringing, this is for you too. Same fountain. I was thinking about this. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think they do this on domestic flights anymore, but on international flights, they still hand you the hot towel so that you can clean yourself up before you get off the plane. And I think it's to do with they don't want people seeing what their customers look like, you know, after they've been on one of their planes for 10, 12 hours. But on the less cynical side of me, I'm I'm convinced of this. All of the people on an international flight, white people, black people, brown people, people who speak English, Spanish, Japanese, British English, which is very different, as you know. You get, you get the idea. Everybody takes a towel because everybody knows they got dirty and nobody even knows how it happened. All they were doing is sitting in this mess of humanity in this tube for a few hours and we need, we need to be refreshed. Same remedy for all of them. The apostles reporting on God's grace in the gospel to the church in Jerusalem. This is Acts 15. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us Jews, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Isn't that precious? Purifying their hearts by faith in Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He says, the only way to have a pure heart is to realize you have an impure heart and to mourn about it to such an extent that you do that which alone can lead to cleansing and purity. And so I, I say again, Jesus is the fountain God has opened wide for his filthy people. Baptism really pictures this, doesn't it? A couple of weeks ago when... Alicia and and Blake and Kate were immersed in water. What a wonderful picture that was for all of us of, of what it is to be cleansed, not outwardly, but inwardly by faith in the work of Christ. And and as Sean mentioned earlier in the announcements, we'll be baptizing again uh, next Sunday, September 11th. And, And if you've not taken this very important step of obedience to the Lord, proclaiming your allegiance to Christ. Please get in touch with with one of the elders soon. And a caution here. Baptism, apart from faith in Christ, 
only accomplishes what? You get wet. You've heard this before, right? So the baptism is not salvific. The, the baptism itself is not cleansing. But what a wonderful picture it is. And what a wonderful declaration of faith in Christ it is to the rest of the body, to anyone who's here. Now, what about um, all of that has to do with the desire for purity? What about the pursuit of purity? Well, because Jesus, and, and in, a, in a way, this is kind of where the sermon starts, okay? Um, although I'll speed up. What about the pursuit of purity? Because Jesus really is talking about the nature of those who are in the kingdom. And so what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, is that, hey, my kingdom people are pure in heart. My kingdom people are pursuing purity of heart. The, the pure heart is, is the regenerated heart, the, the heart of stone that has been made into the heart of flesh by the Spirit of God as, as promised in Ezekiel 36, a, a heart sincerely turned toward God. This is, this is the evidence of the new birth. The, the, the pure in heart are, are not content. Please listen because one of the, the prevailing false gospels in our age is that you can name Jesus and be unchanged and be good with God. That is a false gospel. You see, the the pure in heart are not content to be declared pure. They want to be pure from the inside out. They know that any distracting or corrupting influence in their hearts makes them less effective, less loyal servants of the king. So the pure in heart pursue purity in the power of Christ. Are are you pursuing purity? Do you have a sense of what that is? Are you one who says, well, wait a minute now, Pastor, that's legalistic. I've got my get out of hell free card and I go on living. Don't take my word for it. Listen to Titus 2, 11 through 14. Paul says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, why? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. What's Paul saying? Saving grace is a sanctifying grace. Saving grace is a purifying grace. The Bible knows nothing of a Christian who is not being made pure like Christ. The Bible knows nothing of a Christian who has no desire for inner purity. Who, who, who doesn't care about sin, remains perfectly happy in filth. The pure in heart cry out as David did, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, the man who is quite satisfied with the name of a Christian without the life of a Christian 
will never see God, nor anything at all, until his eyes are divinely opened. And the thing of it is, friends, is we are not passive in this, this sanctifying work of grace. We don't get zapped with purity, do we? Has that happened to anybody here? Of course not. It's relentless and progressive. It's a work of grace, but it's a work of grace that we're called to cooperate with. That's what Paul meant when he said to the Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, yeah, this is a, this is a gracious work of God, this, this sanctifying, purifying work, but you're not passive in it. You're not disassociated from it. The pure in heart pursue purity in the power of Christ. Now, let me just try to... Are you still listening? Let, let me just try to, to, to mention um, a few things really quick that would make that accessible. I mean, how do you get that from the, the idea to, well, what, okay, what, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? Well, first of all, God uses his word to purify his people. Are you a person of the word? Are, 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 you, are you bathing, as it were, in the word of God? Listen to Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with what? The washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. God uses his word to purify his people. Jesus prayed this for you and for me in his high priestly prayer. Sanctify them, Father. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, you cannot say that you desire to be pure in heart if you're not reading the Bible and you have no interest in obeying what you read anyway. That's a contradiction. Aren't you glad you're not like that? In fact, God uses his people's obedience. He enables it, but he uses his people's obedience to purify them. The apostle Peter puts it this way, He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The first part of that passage makes clear that obedience to the truth, not just taking it in, obeying the truth, is used of God in a powerful way to purify his people. Let let me just, do you care if this is practical for a minute? So just sitting in Bible studies week after week, that's a good thing. Listening to sermons Sunday after Sunday, even on Labor Day, I mean, surely you get points for that, right? Labor Day weekend? That's all your podcasts are, is Jesus stuff. In and of itself, that is not a purifying grace. Not not if you know in your heart you have no intention of living by that anyway. 
That same passage, 1 Peter 1, suggests that God uses the life of his church. God uses the communion of brothers and sisters in Christ as a means of purifying his people. What a a mystery this is. But how marvelous it is that there is grace imparted, purifying grace imparted, when we come together and relate to one another by God's design. The thing of it is, is you need to be involved in a small group this fall. We're not advertising that for the sake of advertising, trying to fill seats. We're not doing that. It's just that we're meant to be in relationships of Christian fellowship with one another, knowing that God uses others in our lives to sharpen us. And he uses us in the same way in their lives. Those of you who maybe are struggling in your marriages and you're thinking, man, I need, to, I need a book, I need a, I need a counselor. I need... Those are good things for sure, especially if it's this book. Okay, but those helps are important. But if you have decided in your own life that you are not in fellowship with other married Christian people, other husbands and wives who love Jesus, you have rejected a primary way of purifying God's people in their marriages. I'm sorry this isn't practical enough. What about repentance? That's also a means of being made pure, isn't it? Not, not, not repentance unto salvation, but, but the ongoing repentance that typifies the reality that a person is saved. Can you imagine how, how weird it would be? Just stay with me a few more minutes. Can you imagine how weird it would be if let's just say a person decided to not bathe ever or shower, whatever. And um, after a while, that would be a problem. For who? Everybody. And imagine how weird it would be if, that, if you came to that person and you said, hey, what, what's the deal with not bathing? And they said, well, oh, no, didn't you hear? When I was born, they bathed me. I mean, I, my mom told me when I was born, the doctor hosed me off. Got me all cleaned up. So I'm good. Well, that's just stupid, isn't it? And so there is a repentance unto salvation, but there, I mean, you know, there's this ongoing repentance in the life of God's people. We want to keep short accounts with God because we love him. And we don't want dissonance in that relationship with our Lord. What does John the Apostle say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. The pure in heart are a repentant people. And what of trials? The very circumstances we might be tempted to pray against. How many of you know we have people in our fellowship undergoing such trials right now, we long to have them removed. We long to have God's deliverance shown visibly in the midst of these trials. And I'm not going to name people and stuff because it cheapens the whole thing. But you know what I'm talking about. 
There, there's a sense in which the church at large, not Hayden Bible Church, but just the church at large is on trial because we, we live in a community and in a world that increasingly marginalizes Christians and increasingly sees the people of God as a problem that needs to be dealt with. And yet none of that happens outside the sovereign providence of God. Trials in life are allowed by God to do this purifying work in his elect people. What a blessing that our God loves us this much. James puts it this way, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's purity, right? Purity of heart. Faith, the word, obedience, repentance, meaningful fellowship with God's people, even trials are means God uses to purify his people in the practical sense. Now, let me just end with this. What does it mean to see God? Because I read in my Bible somewhere that no one has seen God. And I've seen in my Bible in various places that it's gone very poorly for those who tried to catch a glimpse. So what in the world is this seeing God business? Some of you come from a Roman Catholic background, and so you might remember that in... Roman Catholicism, there is this idea of the beatific vision, right? The vision that brings ultimate happiness. And people have done all sorts of things throughout history to find the spiritual sweet spot. How do I get to this spot where I live without even an awareness of sin within me? How do I get to this spot where I live day by day in utter holiness. Let me just encourage you to take that idea and throw it away. <laughs> that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. But, but the, the basic idea of that, the beatific vision, the, 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 the vision, the, the seeing that brings ultimate happiness is what he is talking about. It's the delight of a growing fellowship with God that comes from being cleansed. From, it, it, it's to enjoy God. Do you enjoy God? Do, do you know the warmth of his embrace? To see God is to, to even have a sense of his friendly presence. God is not just a, a great inference, as Tozer said, a kind of a cold idea. No, it's, it's to know the warm welcome of God in his glory. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way. He said, to see God is this. It is to have an immediate, sensible, and certain understanding of God's glorious excellency and love. It's hard to put to words, isn't it? Let me just give you two or three indicators of, of this great blessing. The pure in heart see the work of God around them. I, I mentioned camping earlier. I'm remembering not too many weeks ago camping with a couple of... Have I mentioned we have grandchildren? A couple of the grandchildren. 
and, and, we, and we, we were uh, smelly and dirty. It was the end of the experience, and um, experience, the trip. And <laughs> I enjoyed it so much. And um, so on, on the way out of the mountains, my grandson Peter, just out of nowhere, he says, hey, what do you think? Do you think God made dinosaurs first or mountains and trees? And you would think, well, what a great opportunity to teach a child about the days of creation and how God... No, 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 no. I was so blessed just to hear the simplicity of a heart that's thinking about God and looking around and thinking, God did that. I don't know everything about it, but I know he did it. And you see, the pure in heart see the fingerprints of God. The, the, the pure in heart see more of God in his providence. Do you know that as a believer, you don't believe in circumstances? You believe in God's sovereign control of all things. He, he's busy in everything you've got going on in your life, even the smelly stuff. And, and, and the work that God is doing is a good work for his people. Do you believe that? The, the, the pure in heart see more of God in salvation. In other words, we're, we're not bored with the blessing of our salvation. The more we grow in relationship with the Lord, the more we are amazed at his grace in saving people like us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. And the pure in heart finally thrilled to live toward that day when we see Christ. This is, this is the hope of purity. This is, this is what we're living toward. John the Apostle put it this way. He said, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The pure in heart will one day see Jesus and get this, be as pure as he is pure. This is the promise of scripture. This is the hope that you and I, as God's kingdom people, have to look forward to. Let me just end with this. Began with a camping story. I'll stay on that theme Several years ago, my family went camping up the Coeur d'Alene River, and we went with another family. Our boys were best friends. Our girls were best friends. Our dogs were siblings. I mean, it was one of those kind of deals. It was a pretty sweet thing. And um, it was a wonderful time, campfire, um, catching frogs, all that kind of stuff. And we just got totally filthy and covered in dirt and grime and all of that, and we stunk. But we all stunk. We were happy. And... Um, about two or three days into this thing, the, 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 the moms and the girls made a, a pretty bold decision. They actually drove a few miles down river, some of you know where I'm referring to, uh, to a restaurant um, whose owner had a really great side hustle. You could take a hot shower for some amount of money. I don't know what it was. This place was called Gloria's Steakhouse. I don't think anybody ever got steak there, but they showered. And um, I don't think it would have mattered how much it cost to those ladies when they showed up there. But they got cleaned up, unlike the boys 
who stayed back at camp. And um, they couldn't stay there and get cleaned up. They had to go outside of themselves. You see where this is going. But they desired cleanliness and they acted on it. And they came back to camp joyful and energized and refreshed. In other words, annoying uh, to, to, to those of us who had stayed in camp. And that's kind of how the Christian is in the world. We don't try to be annoying. We're sorry if our gladness annoys you, but we know the king. We're tired of being dirty and he's cleaned us up. And he's cleaning us up. And one day he will have made us clean as he is clean. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving your people a desire for purity. We thank you for making provision for us to pursue purity in your strength. And we thank you for the hope, the promise that you give to us, that there is a day coming when our battle with sin will be done because you have defeated sin and you share in that victory with your people. Lord, help us to live toward that day and help us to live in the blessing of what you have done for us, Lord. We've come to the fountain and you've made us clean. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.